Father, as we come once again to your word, having engaged in, in worship and song, having um, sat at your table, drawn our, our hearts and our minds and attention to you. Lord, now we, now we reflect on your word revealed through, uh, revealed through a man struggling to pastor a, a difficult situation uh, two millennia ago. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak, and may we hear him. And may these written words on a page um, be more than that, as they show us the living word, your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to be uh, in the book of Jude. Uh, if you're unfamiliar where that is, just go to the back of your Bible and find the book of Revelation. Um, Jude is probably going to be the page or two uh, before the first chapter of the Revelation. Um, Jude has, is uh, one of Jesus' half-brothers. So this summer we've been looking at um, the books of James and Jude. Uh, those are the English versions of uh, the Hebrew names Yaakov and Yehuda, um, uh, Jacob and Judah. Uh, they are, uh, again, half-brothers of Jesus, Mary and Joseph's biological children together. Um, we know that they had several. Uh, they had several sons, uh, at least two daughters uh, together. And Jesus was the, the eldest uh, child in the household. Um, and James and J Jude and the rest of the family rejected Jesus during his earthly ministry. But after the resurrection, uh, came to faith. Uh, and so, and James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And so the book of James is written at the very beginning of the church. Uh, it's one of the earliest books of the Bible. And the book of Jude is written toward the end of the first century, probably the last book written before um, the, the books of John, the, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. Um, and so it is one of the only books written by somebody who is um, not really referenced at all in the rest of Scripture. His name appears in the Gospels, but other than that, we don't know much about him. He has one of the most common names. Um, uh, the word Jew actually comes from Judah. Um, and uh, the three most common names in first century Palestine, if you're interested, uh, I'm sure you are, uh, the, the, the three most common names, and we know this from, uh, from cemeteries, are uh, Yeshua, which is Jesus, uh, Yaakov, which is Jacob, um, and Yehuda, which is Jude or Judah. Uh, these are the three most common male names um, in, uh, in first century uh, Israel. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, this is, uh, it's not quite George Foreman naming all of his sons George, but Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph seem to have uh, named their, their children uh, using pretty common names. So uh, sometimes there's discussion about who Judah is. Um, and the book of Jude addresses the situation of false teachers. And we've spent uh, four weeks, this is our fifth week here, uh, really hitting that topic of false teachers' heart. Because it is so important for the church that we understand there are false teachers among us, they do influence us, and we have a responsibility to oppose them. But we also have a responsibility, we talked last week, about m compassion and mercy. Our response to false teachers can't just be all rage and anger. It has to be compassion and mercy. Um, 
And James, uh, Jude then ends his letter with a benediction. Uh, and benediction is just a Latin word for blessing, uh, a word of blessing, bene, blessing, diction, word. Um, and uh, and this, this, this last piece of the book of Jude is one of really Jude's masterpieces of how he designs uh, what he has to say and conveys a, a, an, a message so strongly. So I want to read it. Um, then we're going to talk a little bit about it um, and what it means in reference to this dealing with false teachers. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the end of his letter. Um, makes a great song. I actually wrote one. I'm not going to sing it, but um, it's got great rhythm and, and design. Um, the Greek is, is, is flawless in the way that it, it's designed to, to develop a rhythm. comes into English very easily. Why? The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle, or, uh, yeah, Pastor Jude answers this question. Why should we oppose false teachers? And people say, well, you oppose false teachers because they're false teachers. Okay, that's great. But, but, you know, I mean, we live in a world where falseness is everywhere. Um, people are always lying about everything. You say, nah, people don't always lie about everything. What is the top performing, top man, uh, 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 thing that we do for entertainment? We watch actors lie. It's what they do. Actors lie for a living. The word, the Greek word for a liar, a liar is, or a Greek word for an actor is Hippocrates, um, someone who pretends to be somebody else. Um, the whole point of acting is being very good at convincing other people you're someone you're not. Um, and so, uh, and so, uh, unless you're Nicolas Cage, then you just convince everybody that every movie is about Nicolas Cage. Um, some of you clearly like Nicolas Cage movies. Never reference Nicolas Cage again. Um, anyway, so, so the, this whole idea of, of falseness, it just exists everywhere. It, it's, 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 it's human existence. So, so why is it so important in the church that we address false teachers? And you say, well, because doctrine is important. Sure, doctrine is important. It's important that we have good teaching. It's important that we have sound teaching. It's important that what we do derives from Scripture. But why is it important? Why is doctrine important? Why is opposing false teachers important? Why is it important that we as Christians grow and mature and be capable of doing it? Why is it so important that we weed out false shepherds who are consuming the flock? Why is it so important that our love remain uncorrupted? All right, Why are all of these so important? It is because... We, followers of Christ, are devoted to pursuing and loving and following the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The reason that we don't just say, well, let's just get along. Let's just not talk about all the issues we disagree with. Let's not deal with, you know, uh, you know let, let's, let's, not, 
let's not argue about whether who's right or who's wrong. Let's just all agree to get along and never oppose anybody and never have any conflict. Or, the reason that we, we don't do that is because we as followers of Christ, we as the church, are called to devote ourselves to the one who does this thing. He is the one who keeps us from stumbling. In other words, our, our devotion to purity is a reflection of God's commitment to us. Our commitment to the purity of our faith should be a reflection of the com- God's commitment to keeping us upright and moving. I don't know about you, but without God propping me up from time to time, without His supernatural intervention in my life, I would be a mess. I don't know about you, but if I were left to my own devices to do everything that I desire to do, um, I would be a very curious specimen. Left to being motivated to being kind and loving and caring, since I'm so good at those things, um, left to my own devices on how my relationship with others would be, it would be a very different situation. But the one who keeps us from stumbling, the one who provokes us, transforms us, renews us, revives us, gives us the strength to take one more step. He is committed to us, so we should be committed to Him. And not committed to Him in the sense that, eh, you know, he, He's doing a good job, we'll stick with Him. But rather committed to what He is doing in us, committing to what He has revealed to us, and committed to being the church He has called us to be. God keeps you from stumbling. How often do we forget that? When your wife forgives you, I'm just going to speak from a man point of view, and my wife's not here, so I can embarrass her all I want. Um, But when your wife forgives you for your stupidity or your thoughtlessness or your lack of focus, not that I ever have those issues, it is God who is keeping you from stumbling. He has moved her to love me in a way that forgives my failures. And when, how often when you stumble or you struggle or you sin... Do you take the moment to remember who it is that is preventing you from falling flat on your face and instead you stumble and bumble a little bit but you're able to get your balance back? That sure, we struggle in our faith, but it's God who keeps us from landing flat on our faces. Now, I don't know if you, about you, but if you have ever managed to fall in such a way that you land without being able to prepare to land, isn't that fun? Isn't that just the greatest thing in the world 
when suddenly you fall and and i mean i i do a martial art that 80 percent of what we do is learn to fall all right we just want to keep from hurting ourselves anybody that's seen somebody seen any of the videos of me competing where i'm some some guy is hurling me through the air and i'm 200 pounds i i'm not i'm not a little person um I, well i'm a little person but i'm not i'm not I'm not a I'm not light, all right? And when I hit the ground, when 200 pounds 200 pounds hits the ground while rotating around, if I don't fall the right way, there's some serious damage that's going to happen. And there have been a couple times where I have fallen in such a way that I landed and I was not prepared and it inevitably injures something. If you've ever been on a a sidewalk you did not know was icy, and suddenly found yourself not two feet on the sidewalk, but face or backside on the sidewalk, you know what it's like to really stumble. And Jude says, God is the one who keeps you from falling flat on your face when you fail. Don't we therefore, shouldn't we therefore, if He is so committed to preserving us, shouldn't we be committed to preserving the church as He gave it to us? To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. But we so often focus on that part of grace. God's grace is so good, He kept me from doing things that could have been worse. God keeps me just level with righteousness. It's, it's so great that God just kind of, He keeps bailing me out. That's not where Jude ends. Not only does He keep us from stumbling, but He presents us blameless before the presence of His glory. To present literally means to stand up. That's the Greek word uh, that He is using. The word that to stand, istimi. The idea, therefore, and if you know anything about ancient, the ancient world, um, the idea that anyone could stand in the presence of a sovereign, that has to be something that the sovereign grants to you. Um, you. You don't just stand in front of the Roman emperor and say, I've got questions. You don't just stand in front of an eastern monarch. Uh, in fact, in the eastern world, in, in Persia, um, and Babylon, the way that most people would enter the presence of the king, uh, the Shah the Shah, the king of kings, the way that you would enter his presence was on your belly, crawling on the ground. Um, by the way, there's a little bit of imagery of that in Genesis. If you read the curse that's on the serpent, that you will crawl on your belly. Um, it is the relationship of Satan to God is a groveling, uh, a groveling, humiliated being. But that has nothing to do with the message, just for your exegetical exhortation. Um, the idea was you would lay on your stomach outside of the room, the throne room, and you would literally crawl on your face, not on your hands and knees, on your face, into the presence of the king. And at one point he would say, all right, you can get up on your hands and knees, and you would get up on your hands and knees, and you would walk on your hands and knees. And then he might say, you can kneel. And then you might be able to kneel. Um, But for the king to say that you could stand in his presence, that was a sign not just of his grace, but his love and respect. 
It was a great privilege to be able to stand in the presence of the king. So when Jude says, not only does he keep you from stumbling, but he invites you into his presence to stand in front of him. He calls you blameless. He rejoices over your presence. When was the last time that was part of your prayers of thanksgiving? Not only God, thank you for forgiving me my sins because I'm a horrible and terrible person. But God, thank you for preparing me to stand before you. For the forgiveness of sin that covers and atones for all of my sins so I could stand in your presence. Thank you for your love that you look at me and you receive me not as a, as a weight, not as a, a, a petitioner, not as a beggar, but you receive me with joy. You get up off of your throne and you come down and you embrace me out of the joy of allowing me into your presence. If that is the God we serve, how dare we allow false teachers to taint his church? How dare we say to the God who makes us pure in his own eyes that he might rejoice in our presence, that he might restore Eden. The, the book of Genesis describes God coming uh, to visit with Adam and Eve. And the, and the description is, it's really a beautiful description in Genesis um, uh, uh, where, where God comes to walk in, in the midst of the garden. And the, and the image is the evening wind. And if you know anything about the Middle East, it's really hot during the day, like really, really hot during the day. But at, at night, uh, the things cool down really, really quickly. It produces these really incredible winds. When we were um, in Ein Gev on the on the, uh, the 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 Sea of Galilee, every night that we were there, because it was so hot during the day and so cold at night, the 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 uh, like condo that we were staying in literally shook from the winds. Um, it was so loud. It was so crazy. Now, depending on which coast you're on and of the sea and, and which, what season and weather the winds, it doesn't always happen. But that was like crazy. And the, the idea that God, in the cool of the evening, would walk with the wind to come and see Adam and Eve and to walk with them. And that's what He desires for us. And that's what He gives us in Christ the ability to come and stand in His presence, not as petitioners, but as, as, as joint heirs, the Apostle Paul says. A adopted sons and daughters. God doesn't just help us keep moving, struggling in our faith. And so many people, they, they just, oh, I just go from one crisis to the next in my faith, never finding what it truly means to be redeemed and to be identified with Christ. But Jude says not only does he keep us moving, but he transforms us into someone with the right to stand in the presence of God and celebrate with Him. His grace doesn't just make us good enough. His grace makes us worthy of being a part of His family. And if that is not strong enough motivation for us to stay pure. If that's not strong enough motivation for us to make sure that what we're teaching and what we're saying and what we're listening to is in conformity with the revealed Word of God. I mean, what more do we want 
God not only forgives our sins, He allows us to stand in His presence. We are given access to Him. Why stay pure? Why oppose false teachers? Why not just get along? Because the God who makes us worthy to stand in His presence deserves our respect, our devotion, our commitment, and our work. He deserves it. So many people who call themselves Christians go through life expecting Jesus to secure their eternity, but not trusting Him to be sovereign of their present. Not willing to take the hit now for the one we are claiming for our eternal salvation. So many of us do not understand that in our place, what more can we do but be the reflection of the one who loves us? Because all glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority, all time, now and forever, is His. And false teachers put themselves in the position of God. They put themselves in the place of interpreting the Scriptures and telling you, you have to follow me. I got Jesus down. But the God who calls us into our presence is worthy of our devotion and our commitment. A commitment that goes beyond rage and anger. A commitment that goes to standing for the purity of the Word of God, not in in anger and rage and passion, but in truth and reality. And letting the waves of false teachers and accusations and and all the things that the world throws at at us, letting them crash at us, not because we can stand it, but because God stands us up. I had uh, uh, somebody that I've known for almost, man, almost 20 years uh, email me, and the email came across, and it just said, religious questions. That was the subject heading, and I was like, oh boy, I better get to my computer for this one. And he just poured out a bunch of questions about, about, faith and and is my faith good enough and do i have to keep the ten commandments this is not somebody who's who who's a believer um and and somebody that i've been praying for and somebody i've had a difficult relationship over time so it was somebody who spent actually years really upset with me and we couldn't figure out why and when we found out it was just such a silly little thing that we both laughed about it and and have been able to kind of restore uh the relationship over the course of the pandemic all through text messages and emails and facebook and things and, and now he's asking me these questions. Uh, how, do I know, how do I know the right words to pray to God? How do I know the right church? Do I have to like, participate in the Mass? That's what he describes it. Um, he says, do I have to participate in the Mass in order for Jesus to hear my prayers? Questions like this. Like, like questions that you get from somebody who's really sorting out, what does this faith thing mean? And, and, and watching his, his, well, virtually, watching his mind be blown by the idea that God actually wants a relationship with him, wants to transform him, 
wants to change him. That it's not about him making sure he's got a, a, a list of rules and a bag of tools in order to make God happy, but rather God in his grace through Jesus Christ has transform, transforms those who believe in him and, and frees us and opens the door for our life and strengthens us and, and changes us so that we can withstand things that come along. And the idea, I mean, because he asked me about how, how good is good enough for God. He didn't phrase it exactly that way, but that was his question. And I came back and said, well, because it is all Jesus, you will never be good enough, but he will always be good enough. He's like, so all I have to do is trust Jesus? I'm like, yeah, buddy. And he's like, he goes, it can't be that simple. I said, well, you've got to trust Jesus with everything. You can't just trust him for part of your life. You've got to give him all of your life. He's like, even my kids, even your kids. Even, even my job, even your job. You've got to trust Jesus for everything. And honestly, as followers of Christ, why wouldn't we? Because we need the one who makes us stand. We need the one who keeps us from stumbling. We need him. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this by our own power. We can't do this thing. A, a church without Jesus is just a social club with really weird rules. We've got to be in him. And when we're in him, he promises that no matter what we stand against, he can keep us. He holds us. He stands us up. How do you stand for your faith? You find it in Christ. You dig down to the bottom of who you are until there's nothing of you left and you rebuild your life based on what He has to say. How do, I, how do I love my husband or my wife better? First of all, you give up on being good enough at loving your, your, yeah, your siblings. Wow, that's a whole other subject. Loving your spouse. You give up on being good enough at loving your spouse to get them to love you back. Give up on that. That's, a, that's an illusion. And instead, you dig down until all you have is Jesus' love for you. And you turn it back to Him, and because Jesus was the one who instituted marriage, marriage is instituted in the first chapter of Genesis. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. It is what God intended for us. When you dig down and you put all of your love into Him, He takes all of the love that He has and He pours it into the covenant of marriage that you have formed, and the two of you find a love that transcends what you could do yourself. How can I forgive somebody who has wronged me? You dig all the way down until you get to the one who keeps you from stumbling and can set you straight and you find all the forgiveness that he poured out upon you and you pour all of your grief to him and his forgiveness fills you. And you don't forgive them. This is a whole other message, but you don't forgive those who have wronged you. Jesus forgives them and you agree with him. And you will, find, you will find forgiveness much easier when you walk that line. 
say, how can I be patient? How can I be long-suffering? How can I devote myself to the Scriptures? How can it fill in the blank? How can I do whatever? To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Dig all the way down through your fumbles and your stumbling and your, strugg- your struggles and your difficulty. Get all the way down to where Jesus entered your life. And, and let Him fill that thing that you're asking, how can I, how can I, how can I? And He will always stand you up and keep you from stumbling no matter the challenges. He will do in you what you cannot do for yourself. How can I love? How, how, how can I pray for those that, uh, that I think are, are so unbelievably wrong? A couple weeks ago, I mentioned a bunch of examples of, of false teachers. Ruffled some feathers. Other people were like, sweet, we can knock on people during church. Not a single one of the people that I mentioned, I don't pray for. Not a single one of the situations I talked about doesn't break my heart. That those people, despite the fact that they were false teachers, as a follower of Christ, as a teacher of the Scriptures, digging way down and finding what Jesus has to say about them, He says, yes, they're wrong. Yes, they need to be corrected. Yes, they need to be called out. But my compassion and my mercy and my grace, I want to see them transformed just like I want to see all of you transformed. And digging down and finding His attitude toward them is what strengthens us to both oppose them and to love them. And we could apply this to the world of politics. We could apply it to the world of medical care we could apply it to the world of families we could apply it to every situation but when we dig down we find in jesus in god both the reality and truth that calls us to oppose the false teachers and the reality and truth that calls us to love and to forgive and to walk because ultimately it's not about my authority versus them it's not a he said he said It's about Jesus having all authority, dominion, glory, majesty for all time. And so Jude says it doesn't matter what false teachers come. Christ, 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 Christ. Christ. And join me in a word of prayer. No matter what opposition we face, Jesus, You know it. No matter what darkness in our soul, Holy Spirit, You see it. No matter where we go and what we struggle with, Father, You are sovereign over it. And so let us with Jude, lift our voices to You. Knowing who it is who stands us up. Knowing who it is that strengthens us. Knowing the darkness we have been called out of. And let us walk with You. Let us take ourselves all the way down that You might build us up.
We pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a series called Big Ideas. Um, We're going to be dealing with uh, what the Bible has to say about, well, big ideas. So um, I invite you to to come back next week. I know it's Labor Day weekend, but let's let's have, we've already had a word of prayer. So let me just benedict you this way. Um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace forever. Go in peace and grace.